The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the seventh chapter. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, You will seek me, and you will not find me? And where I am, you cannot come. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Delayed gratification, I think, is really hard for young people today to grow up and have, to be able to put off pleasure and things that bring pleasure, comfort, and happiness, because they're just right there. For generations past, I think about my grandparents' generation in particular, delayed gratification was natural. That's the world that they grew up in. Grandpa tells stories of growing up in central Illinois during the Great Depression in the 20s and late 20s and early 30s, and just the sort of amenities and things that they did not have readily available. And it was the cost of things were higher, so people didn't buy as much back then. It was also lower development. They didn't have the technology, but for those generations, then and before, it was just sort of built in. You're not always going to be happy. You're not always going to be comfortable in life. You're not always just going to be able to go buy or grab or do whatever you want to feel good. And he's thinking about this, right? So it was impossible, okay, for impossible for those generations to be impatient while their food warmed up in the microwave because they didn't even know what a microwave was. They didn't have them. Think about how many more things fit that same bill. Now, though, when so much is accessible for so little effort and so little money, yes, even in this time of inflation, still relatively small amounts of money, we can get things to make our lives a lot easier. It is easy for people to indulge. Easy just to grab the things, to buy the things, to get the things, to do the things that just kind of make us feel good. I'm talking, of course, about food and drink. That one is obvious and easy to talk about, but there is, there's so much more, too. Entertainment and distraction. It used to be, before the radio existed, you'd have to go somewhere and see other people and engage with them if you wanted to have some sort of visual, audible entertainment. Right now, we, just, we have so much at our fingertips that we can just kind of turn off our mind and zone out and kind of dole the pain or whatever it is. On top of entertainment and distractions, there's substance abuse, of course. It's all there. All of these things are part of the enticing fruit of chasing fulfillment through going after physical passions and desires that are so readily available to us. And even though the technology has changed over the years and the things we have available, this has always been the case since Eden, that to feel good, we chase after things. But it's especially true now in our time, our place, in our age. 
And, as always, also the case since Eden, these things are, though different for each person, when we chase them, they scratch the itch that we're trying to scratch, but never satisfies it, never makes it go away. I want to make this qualifier, and whenever I talk about things like this and sermons like this, I always want to make very clear that Christianity, the faith, it's not a buzzkill, right, to use the, kind of the modern language about such things. And it's not what we present ourselves as, as Christians, that we just want people to be kind of sullen and unhappy all the time or always thinking about what they got to be doing. It's not what we present ourselves as. It's not what we aim to be, right? As a Christian, it's not wrong for you to enjoy things in life. It's not wrong for you to even enjoy things that make you feel good. Of course, we're Lutherans. We, we're pretty good on this, right? Other, other churches, they can learn something from us on this, okay? I'll say it. We call it first article gifts, like first article of the Apostles' Creed. God's made all this physical stuff to be used, to be enjoyed, to be a blessing. In measured measurement, you know, measured moderation, these things are good, and they are meant to make us happy in this life, but they're blessings, but not when they supplant the one who has given them to us, not when they take the place, these physical things and whatever they are of the love and devotion that we owe to the Lord who gave them to us. There's a church father from about 1600 years ago, you know him as a city in Florida, we know him as a theologian, St. Augustine, okay? He had a famous line that I couldn't tell you which sermon he gave it in, but everybody loves this line, and it's a good one. The heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee, speaking as a prayer to the Lord. The human heart never has satisfaction and a settled sense of security until it knows, loves, and believes in the Lord. And I would say he was absolutely right. Not in just some sort of abstract, this is another true thing I want you to believe, and you're supposed to know it and believe it. But he's right because it just plays out in life every time, in my own life at least. And if you think about it for a little bit, I bet it's your life as well. Whenever you chase your passions, your physical passions, the feelings that you have, whenever you go after them and try and fulfill them, whatever you get, whatever you use, to fulfill those passions never really fulfills it, never really cuts the mustard and doesn't last. And if anything, sometimes it often does more harm than good. A man who is a glutton, for example, who eats too much, that man's also a robber. Did you know that? He's robbing himself of a healthy body, in all likelihood a healthy mind to go with it. He's robbing his family not just of food, but of money. Food costs money. If you're eating too much, more than you need, you're stealing from the people that God has given for you to love. He forgets the order of things, this glutton, that we eat to live, we don't live to eat. And the gift and the attendant enjoyment that comes from the gift has replaced the giver for his devotion. And you know what we call that, for that or anything else? We call it sin, that's a sin. And sin, though it is always personal, it's a sin that that person carries and has his own guilt and, and weight before the Lord with, it always, sin always has ripple effects that go out and splash up against the people around us. That is to say, 
my sin never just harms me. It harms the people God has placed close to me too. The closer they are, the more they are harmed. There's no such thing, and I think we often think this way by default, but there really is no such thing as, well, this is just me and my life over here in my little corner, and the things that I choose to do only affect me. Nobody else has any say over that. Nobody else can worry about it because it's just me. No, we must and we need to, and the Bible is clear as much, that we need to take the broader view of sin and its effects on the people that we live with and around. If we are to love our neighbor rightly, we must look at sin, our own sin, that way. And to curb that sin in our lives that we have, and to find a balm for it and its effects, well, we need to come to Jesus Christ. That's the solution. In the Gospel lesson today, the second paragraph, you'll see there, It was the end of what you might call the perfect real-life object lesson that Jesus was in. It was a time of feasting, and it was the main day, the last day, the big day of the feast. And Jesus is teaching everybody his short words there about true fulfillment. But he doesn't even do it with a lecture about moderation or even abstinence of whatever sort. He does it by getting up and talking about himself. If anyone thirsts, he cries out, let him come to me and drink. The aim of his words are not to create guilt where none had previously existed in the hearts and ears of his hearers, and neither is it to deny physical gifts as good. Remember what his first first, uh, miracle was, wedding at Cana? He just makes wine out of water so the party can keep going. No. Jesus' purpose is to state very clearly to everybody gathered there and everybody who gets to hear his words ever since that he is where true quenching is found for the passions of this life. If you want to be full, you want to have your thirst quenched, you want to have your passions, the itches that you scratch for so many things satisfied, go to Jesus. If you think that you will eat, drink, and be everlastingly merry by whatever physical things you have in this life, you're just going to be disappointed. You're just going to be sorely mistaken. Every meal comes to an end. Every feast has a closing. The stomach empties. The buzz fades, and the low comes back. And regardless of all that, the effects of Adam's curse, well, we know it. It gets every one of us eventually, in some time, some fashion, or another. What is needed for the person who feels that raw desire for something, for completement, for comfort, for peace, for fulfillment, security, what is needed is a quenching that actually does fill, that actually does last. And for that reason, Jesus says what he does. He bids us to go to him to come to him with all of our needs, all of our sorrows, all of our guilts, all of even, yes, our just basic desires. And he promises that out of such a heart that comes to him will flow rivers of living water. The Spirit, faith, all of the fruits of the Spirit, they will be in the wake of the one who drinks deeply from the well of Jesus Christ. That person's life will be renewed 
and the ripple effects will be magnificent and good instead of negative and bad, those around him will be blessed from the one who drinks Christ. And the question that is natural to ask, well, where do you do this? I've got great news. You're in the right spot. You come to church. You listen to the word of God read. You listen to the sermon of the one preaching to apply that word of God to your life. You listen to the words that absolution gives that Jesus said, I'm going to send my messengers to give you the central thing that I came for, the forgiveness of sins. And on a wonderful day like today, you come to this banquet table to eat and drink bread and wine, which Jesus says are also his body and blood, given for forgiveness, life, and salvation. This is where you come to get the itch scratched. It's where you come to be filled up with the one who does satisfy, who quenches your thirst, and keeps you both content, happy, and secure in this life and promises one day that feeling will be complete when you are in heaven with him forever. Amen.